Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to This Spiritual Fix, Episode 13, Season 2. Today we're going to be talking about the book, The Four Agreements, by Don Miguel Ruiz. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey. Hey, Anna. Hi, Christina Wiltsey. <laughs> How are you doing, Anna Stromquist? My kids constantly talk about you and they always use your first and last name. I love that. I used. To, it's funny because when I was Chris Wiltsey, which is what I was in college... After I moved back from Australia, everyone called me Chris in Australia, and so I like kept it. And I was always a two-name person. I was always Chris Wiltsey. And apparently, even when my name is a little longer, I'm still Christina Wiltsey. <laughs> in, in my house, you're Christina Wiltsey. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It makes me really happy. <laughs> cool. Are you excited about our upcoming weekend that we're doing with Robbie? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So for context, our Robbie is our shaman. She is from New Mexico and she is an amazing, amazing woman and teacher. And she, I think she got her deep training in Peru and she's amazing. What what, what else can I say besides she's amazing? She's amazing. She's amazing. Well, yeah. I we, mean, love her, we love her. We love her. We love her. She's the real deal to me. Yeah. I'm blessed to like, oh, I feel so blessed to have known her yep. and met her in this life. Yep. I think and, also uh, we can say that we're actually planning on recording a couple of episodes with her, aren't we? On our, on our upcoming Wild Woman Weekend. Oh, yeah. So we have, well, we, we have what we call the WWW, the Wild Woman Weekend, where Robbie kind of facilitates us, mentors us. And, you know, she has a TED Talk too, by the way. She does have a TED Talk. Yes, I did know yeah. that. Um, she has a foot in the spiritual world and a foot in the like, I can be, I can be exactly what society needs me to be kind of present, present, you know what I mean? Like she's, yeah, exactly. She's got, I mean, she comes from a backyard of like corporate America, like very high, very up in the C-suite of corporate America, but then also being like an Apache initiated shaman. And we do these wild woman weekends because you know, we used to, when we lived close to each other, we used to see each other at least once a month. And we, uh, on, on a Sunday, we would get together 
and we would just have conversations in which we could say anything that we wanted to. It was like, it's the most amazing, it, it, it feels so good to be intuitive, psychic, weird, whatever you want to say, and just be able to be like, hey, the other day I had this experience where I, I lit a flame. This is Anna's experience, by the way. I lit a flame with my fingers and no matches. And Anna's like, don't tell this story. But don't I guess tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> what does this mean, guys? And then, you know, they'll sit there and be like, oh, well, it means this and this and this. And it's like to be able to be 100% yourself is amazing. And so, you know, I say that not because we're, we're saying, aren't we so lucky? But, you know, we made a point you know, I, I believe that that these groups, these sanghas, if you know, if you want to say using the, the Buddhist term, are everywhere. And being able to be in a place where you can feel like you can be yourself 100% and totally is really, really important, um, especially as women. But I also think that men very much so need these places, whether you want to talk about woo woo stuff, or whether you just want to talk about your deep truth, whatever that is, um, with a group of people, who are your peers so you can know that you're not alone it's just it's so useful and obviously we have a teacher in our midst um, when we meet together and that's obviously a very good way of doing it too but i i really think it's great yeah all right so what are we talking about today chris dina we, wiltsey <laughs> we are going to do an overview of the four slash five agreements by don miguel ruiz this to me was a really important gateway book and i think that We've uh, just finished up our series on the drama triangle. Like I said, it's a great gateway book to just be like, for a lot of people who read The Four Agreements, if you haven't read them, um, you know, they're basically four statements of things that you say that you are going to do, that you are going to agree to do, beliefs that you are going to agree to do. And then the fifth agreement was the second book that we'll be adding in here. Good. It's a very good way for people to behave in the world without having to get involved in drama and to really just be happier people. So... Without mm -hmm. further ado, let's get into it. So the four agreements are be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personal, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. And the fifth agreement is be skeptical, but learn to listen. So first, we're going to start with be impeccable with your word. So, okay. yeah, yeah, first one's first. So. It's interesting because being impeccable with your word is obviously can be translated into say, don't lie, but it's also about a lot of other things I think as well. I think there's a lot of different meanings about it. And I really enjoyed that when I first read the book, because I felt like being impeccable with your word was also about effectively using your language, recognizing that your language has power and that your language, therefore, you know, being impeccable with your word doesn't just mean I'm being honest all the time. It also means don't use your words to harm people. Don't use your words to, you know, your words have power and you have this ability to really affect everything around you with your words. So be impeccable with it. Be in the highest integrity possible with the words that you use. And it, it's all going to work out you know, in your favor, really not in your favor, but it's going to work out for the best because basically you, it's something that you can say, this is my integrity. I am impeccable with my word. And one of the things that Anna's husband likes to talk about a lot, Eric, is that there are four linguistic events and I'm going to do this briefly, but basically the four linguistic events are promises and requests and then, uh, um, assertions and declarations. And I'm mostly going to talk about promises and requests 
um, but assertion, an assertion is, I believe this is, this is true because this and this and this. It's basically saying your opinion about something and giving evidence to back it up. Whereas a declaration is like, this is true. Right. So right. those are the two different. Like love is a declaration. Like if yes. you think that love is an assertion, like I love her because she does this and that and this and that. Therefore, I love her. That's an assertion. And love doesn't really work on assertions. When love is a declaration, I love her, period. Yeah, that's a great example. And then with promises and requests, it's obviously the case where you're saying, I'm requesting that you do this. And the other person is like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do that, but I promise I will do this. And that that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to promise doing anything. Anna, do you have more insight on that since he is? Well, there's a difference between a request and a demand. And you got to make that understandable that whenever you're requesting something of anyone, that they always have three reactions, uh, correct responses, we should say. Yes, no, or negotiation. So like I could request my husband, um, you know, hey, Eric, could you wash my car? I'm not demanding, you know, like people think that a request is a demand. I asked him to do it. Therefore he must do it. A request always gives the other person the ability to have free will and, and cho choose, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I watch on some of these relationship chat boards or whatever. And they're like, you know, I asked my husband to do this and he didn't do it. Well, you requested him and he had a choice, you know, he did have a choice. <laughs> There's not a demand. So anyways, request comes with three potential answers. Yes, no or counter. So like, yes, I will wash your car. And then you should clarify with your, you know, clarify when and how and what your definition of a clean car is. Like, it's really good to get that all because your spouse or whoever might think like just hosing it off is enough. And in your mind, it's like, no, they're detailing it. So you have yes, no, and counter. So then no would be like, no, I'm not going to wash your car. And then counter could be like, no, but I will pay for you to go get it washed or no, I'm not going to wash your car, but I'll drive it through the drive-through, whatever. So yeah. I really like that because it's like forces you to be really clear, clear in your requests and understand that your requests are not demands and the other person has a choice. And it's really nice for me because coming from the whole abandonment wound codependency thing, I have a really hard time making requests so that they end up being demands because I wait too long. But like if I can just ask him, hey, can I make a request? It just feels really good because I know that when I'm making my request, he always has a choice and he might say no. And then that feels good to know that like he's being honest, like he's not just doing it because I asked, like he'll be like, yes, no, or counter offer. Yes. Anyway, that, that no, but that that key thing is what you said, you know, that he's being honest. And that's the trick of this, right, is that being impeccable with your word. It's, you know, what they say kind of to, to summarize what it is in the, in the four agreements is it speak with integrity, say only what you mean, avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others, use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. And to me, using the, those four linguistic events, using promises and requests and using, and you know, is a real way in which you can be impeccable with your word, right? Because yeah. I, 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 that happens all the time with Luke. I think probably part of the time, and this is something that, that Luke and I can work on, is that part of the time I, I, I request something, but it sounds but like you're demand. actually demanding it. I'm actually you're actually demanding, demanding it. it because yeah. you only have a yes. You, you think there's only one answer, which is yes. Right. If exactly. you think the only answer is yes, you are demanding. You are not requesting. Right. And so if I think the only answer is yes, and then I hear him waffling on the other side and he's like, well, yeah, and he just doesn't answer, which happens a lot, right? Because I'm probably demanding more than I like to say or I'm just admitting that I do do that a lot and that it's something I need to improve on. But 
it makes it so neither of us are impeccable with our word because in some ways I'm being, I'm not giving him a choice. And then he is then put into a position where he might not want to do it or he might want to counter right. or he might, you know, any of those things may be the case, but I'm not really allowing him to be impeccable with his word. Either. Right. So request verbiage versus demand verbiage, like demand verbiage is I need you to do X or will you do X? You know, that that's very demanding. I need you to do X. Will you do X? Request verbiage is more like, can I make a request? Or I'd like to make a request. Can I ask a request? I would preface it with a request. So you're clear and they're clear that you have, they have a, dis, a choice. Yeah. And there are times when it's a demand, like, like, dude, I have a migraine. I cannot get the kids to school. I need you to get the kids to school. You know, that, that could be a, a need. I mean, a demand, but I would like reserve your demands for emergency situations yeah. personally. Yeah. And in some ways, a demand is a declaration in that case too, right? Like, so if there only, are only four linguistic events, then a demand is like, I'm declaring that I cannot get out of bed right now and I need you to do this. Right. right. Um, don't abuse it though. <laughs> don't abuse it. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that, that we find sometimes, and one of the things that a lot of people happen when they read the four agreements is they have, a, they have a lot of resistance to it in practice, right? For one thing, it's unfamiliar. And we've talked about how you need to have things, you need to do something enough to make it familiar, you know, whether that's 21 days or 30 days, depending on the lineage, depending on what you're trying to do. Um, but there are a lot of things that we inter resist to being impeccable with our word. The first is that we don't want to appear to hurt others, which obviously brings up a, a fair amount of codependence. This could bring up the abandonment wound. This could be the rescuer from the drama triangle. There's so many parts of us that don't want to hurt other people with what we're saying. And so therefore we are not impeccable with our own word because we're trying to, to not hurt other people. And yet in the process, we actually become the first victim of, of, of us. Right. We swallow our needs. Yeah. Yeah. You swallow yeah. Your, we your needs. And then a couple of weeks later, you become the persecutor because you haven't been impeccable with your word, which is actually probably causing more harm than you not saying it at the moment. It's true. There are ways that we can learn to become better communicators so that we don't hurt people because maybe we have, maybe we're going through an emotional flashback. And so it's like, it's, you're having a 50 cent reaction to a 10 cent problem right? Where you're just like, all of a sudden you're five times stronger. You're like off the scale with your reaction. Those are things that we can work on, but that's not being impeccable with your word anyway. Right. So, you know, cause it's, it's harming yourself and it's harming others. So I just, you know, I want to caution people to say like, okay, well I'll be impeccable with my word, except for when it's going to hurt other people. Recognize all the collateral damage that happens when you are not impeccable with your word in a non-dramatic fashion, when you're trying to express your feelings or your needs to another person. Um, other reasons that we resist it is we don't want to be rejected by others. We're afraid that people can't accept how we feel. Again, look at the collateral damage that not being impeccable with your word does. It, it causes so much self-harm if you don't allow yourself to say, these are my needs and say them directly because you go straight into the drama triangle when you don't actually directly express your needs, especially in, in a, a calm and digestible fashion. I won't say calm, but uh, you know, in a fashion that makes it so that other people can feel like they're listening, that, that they can listen. And then uh, the other thing is that our responses are habituated. A lot of the times we're habituated to just lie because that's what our survival mechanism tells us to do. Like that's what we've been taught to do our whole lives. And it's like, okay, well, it's better to lie than it is to do anything else. Maybe you've never learned that that's not something that you want to do, but recognize all the collateral damage. Do you have anything to add about impeccable with your word, Anna? 
I do. And I don't know if this is like everybody knows this already. So I'm just saying pointless stuff that other people already know. But someone once told me, I don't know who it was, probably my husband, that it's so important to be impeccable with your word because for your own self, if you say you're going to do something, if you're okay, if you're impeccable with your word and you're true and you don't lie, what ends up happening is your subconscious, which never turns off and is always listening, is paying attention. So then when you say, I'm going to lose 10 pounds or I'm going to wake up early tomorrow. Your mind is like, this is the person who actually does what they said they're going to do. Therefore, yeah, we're going to lose 10 pounds. Yeah, we're going to wake up tomorrow. Like if you fluctuate and you're not impeccable with your word and you're wishy-washy and you lie and you just, you're just not speaking truths, then when you say stuff like, all right, I'm going to clean the house tomorrow, eh, are you? Like the mind is paying attention or you say, I'm going to manifest winning the lottery or whatever it is, you know, I'm making this up. But like when you're impeccable with your word, you become so like, so in tune with truth that then when you declare something, your, your subconscious or the universe could be like, yeah, this bitch is always telling the truth. She said she's going to win the lottery. She's going to win the lottery. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it also serves yeah. you in that selfish way. It serves you to be impeccable with your word. Cause then when you set goals or manifest, everyone's like, dude, this girl doesn't lie. Yep. It allows you to be in, it allows you to get your subconscious on board with anything that you're wanting to do or manifest because it believes you. Right. Cause it's not like, because it, it knows that you are impeccable with your word. Cause if you lie a lot, it's going to be like, this person's full of shit. <laughs> no, no, that's really good. And it's interesting. Cause one of the first things that I, the first, and, and this is going to be so embarrassing to admit, but I used to love Anne Rand so much. The Fountainhead was like my favorite book. And then I loved Atlas Shrugged. And I've gotten over that phase of my life. That was like my late teens before I kind of recognized all the things that it implied. But one of the things that John Galt says in Atlas Shrugged is he talks about how you don't lie for other people. You always tell the truth for yourself, right? And it, that's a bad paraphrasing of a lot of the things that he says, but he was, that character was completely unapologetic about recognizing that lying was lowering yourself to somebody else's vibration or he didn't say vibration, but lowering yourself to somebody else's standard and how it was completely unacceptable if you were going to be the person that you will, always, you know, if you were going to be in your full power. So I like it. Yeah. All cool. right. Don't take anything personally, Anna. All right. Don't take anything personally is one we've heard a lot. And I love this one because first of all, I really believe that with the exception of serial killers, most people are not malicious. Like most people really don't wish you any harm. They don't get off on seeing you suffer. And like someone might do X, Y, or Z to you, but like they didn't do it to hurt you. You got hurt. It's kind of like, we're all just doing our own little thing and, and we infer hurt and blame. And that's our own shit, to be honest. But most people aren't paying attention. Most people are not malicious. They don't want to hurt you. They don't care. They don't get off on seeing you in pain. And if they do, again, that's their shit. Like if someone gets off on seeing you in pain, that's that's their problem, not yours. So I think I do, of all four of these, I probably do don't take it personally. Well, any ex-boyfriend listening will be like, no, she's lying. <laughs> no. <laughs> so wait, let me just uh, refresh. Let me just say, romantically, I often take shit personally. Okay. But- in my everyday <laughs> go, you know, my everyday whatever's, I'm actually pretty good at not taking stuff personally. What about you, Chris? <laughs> what what should I? I am 
I am I am absolutely shit at not taking things personally. I will be the first person to admit that. But I honestly, I, I think this is like the great realization that happens. Like, remember when you're a kid and you like hear your inner voice and you recognize that not everyone can hear your inner voice, but then you have this dawning realization that everybody else has an inner voice. And it's like, holy fuck, I can't even like begin to contemplate yes. the vastness of the world. If my inner world is this, dynamic and huge and big and everybody else has that i was like there's no chance in hell i'm gonna figure out anything else about what anyone else is doing and i feel like that's why this resonated with me when i first read it because i was like oh yeah that's shit everybody's just in their own head and they're not paying attention to almost anything anyone else is doing like enlightened masters are the ones who have compassion and aren't just self-absorbed but the vast majority of us are also completely self-absorbed and playing out our own drama triangles and emotional flashbacks and right and, and all of our programming all of our beliefs all of our contracts all of our karmic whatever like i can name 10 bazillion things that we're all playing out on any given day and most of them are just on repeat right like most of them are not necessarily us coming out of that pattern we're just replaying it that like fuck if you take anything personal like that's just it's just a waste of time yeah people are so people are only concentrating on themselves the vast majority of the time Exactly. And, um, and if you take it personally, then you're looking for trouble. And that's what I, I mean. That's that's what I say to myself now is anytime I want to go into the drama triangle, I'm like, oh, you're just looking for trouble, Christina. You're looking for trouble. You're taking things personally. You, you, you're, you're seeing malice where there isn't because you have some other unmet need. What's, let's figure out that unmet need. Instead of taking this personally and making a story around it, what is my unmet need right now that is not being met? So... Nice. You know, I, I think it's, it really comes down to, this is that, that quote that I, I said actually in, in the last episode of the drama triangle, which is what others say and do is a projection of their own reality, their own dream. When you are immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. And that is what Don Miguel Ruiz says um, directly. And you know, there's a lot of resistance. We, we had, we had four episodes about why we resist not wanting to, you know, why we want to take things personally. Yeah. Let's just not. Yeah. And I think another thing to add to it is people aren't really seeing you clearly. Like we keep saying, like there's a, that quote, like if they can see you, if they can really see you, they could have seen you all along. Like if someone can truly see you and if someone could say mind read and, and pierce right into your mind, then they know enough and they're at the high enough level that they're going to love and accept you anyways. Cause they're going to see that you're just like everyone else. You know, we all have our, we all have our flaws and our shortcomings. And all right, next is don't make assumptions. So coming directly from Don Miguel Ruiz, it's, he says, find the courage to ask questions and express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstanding, sadness, and drama. And with this one agreement, you can completely transform your life. So the idea being that I call, I call it a fill-in-the-blank reality. And I think this really actually jives a lot with The Course in Miracles as well, which is The Course in Miracles, one of the first lessons in the workbook for The Course in Miracles is everything I see is, is the past, which is this whole idea that like, your brain is processing things. I'm even talking about your brain, but you can your mind or your brain is processing things in such a way that you are filling in the blank for the vast majority of everything you are visually seeing as well as the reality that you are perceiving. And when you do that, 
again, you're going to be filling in the blank with all of your beliefs. There's probably going to be a fair amount of self-abuse if that's a pattern that you have. And you're going to make assumptions about how other people feel and think about you, and you're going to act on them accordingly. So the idea is that by just recognizing that you don't actually understand the full motivations of anyone else around you, right? If you, that, that I, you're not going to make assumptions about why anyone does anything. Somebody didn't hurt you because they wanted to do something or someone didn't hurt you because they're being malicious, you know, assume that they're not assume that they are simply playing out whatever you know, don't assume anything. Don't make assumptions, right? Don't, don't go to a place where, where you need, you have the need to fill in the blank of someone else's experience, motivations, intentions, etc. Uh, and don't do it within your own mind either, right? Like don't, don't fill in assumptions about why you've done a certain thing. Oh, well, I can't change because I had this happen to me when I was a kid. So therefore I'm just going to assume that there's no, nothing I can do to change this. And so I'm always just going to assume the same behavior because of that. Do you want to add anything, Anna? I think asking questions is really good. I think, I think like first seek to understand before you start to jump into the persecutor or the victim, like be like, can you help me understand why you did X, Y, and Z? Or can, you know, yeah. oftentimes people have a very good reason for doing what they're doing and it has nothing to do with what you thought. And then their right. And then their explanation might not be good enough for you either, which is okay. Like they have their answer and you might or may not agree with it, but at least ask the question first. It actually probably aligns really well with the fifth one, which is be skeptical, but learn to listen is kind of what you're saying too, is like it aligns a lot with that. It's just don't make assumptions. All right. Hey there, Christina Wiltsy here. Did y'all know that I am also a psychic intuitive healer? Yes. I hold sessions with people, which you can book on my website at chriswiltsy.com. In these sessions, we cover anything from breaking old contracts to traveling to other dimensions to doing whatever really fits your soul at that moment and makes it grow to the next level. Or if you prefer a little something different, I have a Patreon page. And if you become one of my patrons, you get an energetic release every single day. That's right. Every single day. So if you want to learn more or you're interested, go to my website, chriswiltsy.com. Thanks so much and enjoy the rest of the episode. So number four is always do your best. Anna? Always do your best. I read this thing when I was like in fifth grade, a librarian had it written on her, on her desk. And I was like a library aide. And it said, if you don't find time to do it right, when are you going to find time to do it again? And that has stuck with me. And it's like, if you don't have time to do it right, when are you going to do it again? Like, don't half-ass anything. Just do it right the first time. Do it right. Do your best because it's going to take more time in the long run to fix the errors. Kind of like that's Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Don Miguel Ruiz says for this one is, your best is going to change from moment to moment, and it will be different when you are healthy as opposed to sick. Under any circumstances, simply do your best and you will avoid self-judgment, self-abuse, and regret. So again, this I like goes, it. Yeah, it goes back to the inner drama triangle that we've talked about before, which is the patterns of self-abuse and self-judgment are very strong. And I know I've definitely felt this in going back all the way to the wounds with the rejection wound. Like I found that I have self-sabotaged things and not done my best because I wanted it to fail before it ever got a chance to publicly fail. Right. And, 
And so I knew I wasn't doing my best. And I think, I think that by committing to always saying you're going to do your best, it makes it so that you are in a position where you can try and circumvent what may be some habituated wound expressions of wounds, um, habituated forms of, of the inner drama triangle and self-abuse or, and, and I think that that's really important to recognize that, that you can do a lot in there to short circuit what could be your normal behavior pattern that doesn't allow you to do as good as you can do. And you know what, there's, you can, you can split so many hairs with this one. You can be like, well, that person's level of cleaning the kitchen is totally different than mine. And I'm just doing my best, even though it's not as clean as that other person wants it to be. And that's, that's a totally different thing in there in that if you know that the other person has a certain standard and you love them and you care with them and you care about them and you want to be in collaboration with them, then if your best means that you can finish that job in the kitchen or you can not leave your socks on the floor, you know, we talked about this before with spouses, it's really, it's, it's something that you can do there to recognize that your best is actually probably cooperative in nature. And once mm-hmm. we get to that point, then that can, that, that can be what it can become. Don't set your bar impossibly high, but set your bar high. Yeah. Because it's easier to go above your bar than to keep lowering your bar. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to keep lowering your bar. Yeah, yeah. But you also don't want to keep your bar so high that you're just allowed to persecute everybody because they don't keep up to your standards. Like, that's the the, the trick with the collaboration thing, right, is the cooperation thing, I think, is that, like, it's really good to have your own bar and it's really good to then, like, set the standard for everybody else, but also don't let it be a, don't let it be a, a trick that you use to then do other things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, persecute. The always doing your best is actually really, really important as a final thing. It's really important for upholding the other agreements because you just like with every other thing in which you're saying, I'm going to do something new that's unfamiliar. You may fail at being impeccable with your word, or you may fail with not taking anything personal, but recognize that doing your best for, for doing these agreements may not be perfect. And you may fail and you may fall back and you may not have be impeccable with your word, but you are doing your best and recognize that your best is not going to be perfect at first because it is not familiar yet. And do not beat yourself up and cause it as another reason to judge yourself and have a, a pattern of self-abuse. And that is what doing your best is, is that recognizing that, you know, you, you will be different with your healthy as opposed to sick. And it will be different when you're first doing it and learning how to do it as opposed to when you've been doing it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And finally, be skeptical, but learn to listen. This is the fifth agreement that happened in a second book. Uh, the idea being that it's a whole book. So I'm going to really do my best to summarize quickly what this means. Wow. So this one is like, I mean, he really cared about this one. <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> if he, he gave I, it its I, own book. I think he used a lot of the book to also summarize uh, I'm giving the, assumptions, <laughs> well, but, but to also summarize the previous four and then kind of add to it. But the idea, because, you know, it's the, the four agreements is a, is a Toltec wisdom idea, right? So it comes from um, pre-Columbian, pre-Aztec, pre-Mesoamerican uh, knowledge that we're, we're putting in here. So all four of the original agreements obviously came from that, their, that culture and that um, the spiritual understanding that arose from that. And then this fifth one did as well. And the reason that I mentioned that is because be skeptical, but learn to listen. The whole 
fifth agreement is all around the fact that the world functions thanks to symbology. All right. So the idea being that the word horse, I say the word horse, and that is a symbol for something that is an animal. And everybody says that we are going to agree that the word horse means the animal horse, which is the actual thing of the horse, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, but but you can also say the same thing for save. The save icon is a great example of that. Like if you ever look anywhere, that save is still a floppy disk, even though the vast majority of people who are using computers now have never seen a floppy disk in person. But it is a symbol that everyone recognizes is save if you are computer, if you know anything about computers. So whether it's horse or an icon for the save file, everything in the world functions on symbology um, which is why that sim- symbol, that symbology actually domesticates us as we grow up. And he uses the word domesticate a lot because domesticate is this idea that as we grow up, we're wild and crazy when we're young and we learn how to survive with our family, with our parents, with their culture, with everything by not doing the four agreements as well as the fifth agreement, right? We basically learn to say, I don't want to take anything personally, but actually I'm going to take everything personally because that's how I survived when I was a kid. If I learned to take everything personally, then that's how I worked. Or if I made assumptions about how somebody else felt, that's how I stayed out of trouble, right? So the process of domestication is something that created the opposite, the antagonist of these four agreements, as well as the fifth one. And the idea with the fifth one, uh, the fifth agreement is to say, actually, if the world functions thanks to symbology, and if that's the reason is that it domesticates us as we grow up, then, then, and if all the knowledge is built on symbology, um, you know, it basically means that everything is relative, right? Like that's his entire point. His entire point is that all truth is relative because Horse is horse, but horse to somebody a thousand years ago is going to look different than house horse to somebody now because it's been the the ideal of a horse has changed over the last a thousand years. And so the idea where he really talks about with be skeptical, but learn to listen is listen carefully to what other people are saying, but recognize also that every truth that someone says this is truth is relative. The, the ability to recognize absolute truth when everything is a symbol for something else and everyone's idea of that symbol is something different is something that, you know, it will, it will bode you well if you are skeptical and you learn to listen and you recognize that truth is relative. Um, what anyone decides is truth. And it says when it, when you learn to be impeccable with your words, you can use symbology to your advantage, which I'm not going to get into, but I would encourage you to read the book if that is something that speaks to you. Do you have any questions about that, Anna? Yeah, I do not. All right. So, If you're interested in doing these, remember a couple of key things. Remember that you may have existing beliefs from domestication, if you want to use his term. You may have existing beliefs, which will cause you to be in what he calls double jeopardy. Double jeopardy means that you have two contradicting beliefs. And if you have two contradicting beliefs existing on inside of you, like if you think that you should not be impeccable with your word and you're trying to be impeccable with your word, the the one that's been there for a lot longer is usually going to be the one that survives. Wins. (laughs) That wins, right. So, you know, make these agreements familiar in your life and you will be successful. Thanks so much, Anna. I love it. Yeah, cool. I like it. Thank you. All right. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Do you have an opinion? Do you want to let us know something? Send us an email at thisspiritualfix at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.